0: I'm back Smooth <laughs> My dogs are just standing out, out the door They're just absolutely going ballistic <laughs> And I just, had to, I just had to give myself an act of compassion right there, Jad Just going, oh, oh, you're live on Facebook And your you two labradoodles are going apeshit oh. <laughs> <sighs> Well, hello there This episode represents a departure from our normal format here. No guest to be interviewed today. Instead, this is Jad and myself in discussion live on Facebook on the Mindfulness Based Stress Reduction page, which is a page that I co-manage with John Julian, And we have weekly live discussions about all things mindfulness and compassion related. You remember John. John was our first guest that we had on the podcast. Anyway, in this instance, John is absent and Jad is very much present. So we hope you enjoy this discussion. Somewhat of a holiday season bonus, if you will. And here we go. You have the floor, my
1: friend. I am now, I'm present. I'm I'm here in the room doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is, you know, mindfulness and being aware and present.
0: Ah, oh, great. Despite
1: being a little tired and, you know, Saturday morning. I'm not a morning don't, person, don't, as you know.
0: Now, now, don't start this discussion with your incessant whinging. People will just turn off. <laughs> They're not, they don't care. They
1: don't care. <laughs> so my name's Dad. I'm a naturopath, counsellor and mindful self-compassion teacher. Um, I work at Pran Health Foods, um, practicing there, and through Merge Health, and also I work privately um, via Zoom. Obviously, the pandemic has meant that you know all of my clients are currently on Zoom, which I actually quite enjoy, so that works well. Um, and I've got a special interest in in mental health, working therapeutically with with mental health, both as a naturopath and as a counsellor, um, and. Um, yeah, really passionate about um, compassion and mindfulness, mostly because they're two things that have been really difficult for me and in hugely beneficial. So I like to share all of the, that with others. I guess, yeah, that's that's me. I met Mike through 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 John and through the Self Compassion Program and and Teach Training, um, and that's how I am here today. And we both do a podcast together, the the Kind Mess Podcast, which I'm sure regular listeners of this pod this Facebook Live is that what it's called? Um
0: Discussion, yeah, discussion, discussion. Discussion. John used to John used to call it interview, and I was like, oh, that's a power dynamic, man. That means I'm just like the, you know, the David Frost or the uh, Michael Parkinson, and I feel like I'm so much more than that. I'm not, but um, yeah. So we just we just uh, say discussion. Now I'm seeing some people join live, and and just look, hello, and. As, as per usual, um, it is an open forum for discussion. So, questions, quandaries, queries, pontifications, observations, please, no geography or long division. I'm just. I just... Oh, I'm pretty good at geography. Okay. I all was right. in
1: year seven anyway. I was very, very competitive. Thailand Aaron used to beat me all the time, and okay. I
0: would come second. I'm still. Okay. Difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sensing that was a difficult time for you, Chad. <laughs> it's uh, really rough. <laughs> So uh, once again, uh, a warm a warm invitation to participate in any way that you would like to, um, Jad. This is an interesting process. John and I have discovered, mm-hmm. um, in that people participate live, which is lovely, and sometimes they throw a few curvebally questions, which I also really enjoy. Um, but we've noticed they also would then. It's a bit of a time travel device my friend so people people experience this conversation in the future as well um and that has been that has been really interesting so i want you to bear in mind that you although you are present you are potentially going to be getting Mm -hmm. into whatever whatever time machine from uh you know the artistic uh movie world that you want to choose be it a be it a Wormhole, be it a you know a DeLorean, be it a TARDIS, whatever you want. Ooh, um, so by it, the by, the way, folks, this is a regular thing that I do on the pop ca- podcast. I I reference pop culture because none of it means anything to Jad. Um,
1: <laughs> some of it I get, some of it's some of yeah, it's all over my head.
0: Some of those references are like 30, 40 years old, my friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, the TARDIS and the DeLorean was obvious, and a, and you know various worm portals.
0: There you go. There you go. I think um, I've got Tardis. All right, wonderful. So, um, and the interesting thing is, quite often those participating later um, will also pose questions. So I've got kind of a list of questions that um, have either been sent to the page, sent to John and I. So um, all this, all this can occur within the guise of an open forum discussion. So it's, so it's kind of fun. And I'll just constantly remind people because I'm seeing people join. Uh, live now this is jad this is not John um, and he's a safe person as far as I know although I suspect he is not wearing pants but that's we you know we don't judge that here
1: I am wearing pants I'm wearing the same jeans I've been wearing all week
0: all right very good low maintenance guy well John's been wearing the same shirt for 40 years so <laughs> I love it that's he that's his uh that's his active. Protest against neoliberalism. I and I respect that. Um, so, by the way, John is John is. What would we say? He's on retreat. He's on um, vacation. John make has made a commitment, which I think is just lovely. To I think his idea is he would spend ten percent of the year um, in the wild, in nature. So what a what a glorious act of a modelling to me of an act of self compassion. So, even wow. even even in his absence, uh, Yoda continues to teach. Again, pop culture reference that's more than forty years old, Chad. Chad you referenced just to get things kicking kicking off. You referenced an article from from Grandmaster Chris Germer. Um, I'm I'm curious because because full confession, I have not read it. Um. Full
1: confession, like many people, I've only read the abstract and the conclusion (laughs) myself. Mm. But um, it's Chris Germa. is it Germa or Germa? It's Germa.
0: I would hope that it's Germa because I said Germa to his face a couple of times. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. When we were in the course, I was I'd put my hand up and go, "Hey, (laughs) Germa," which he responded to pretty well. So. That's so Chris Girmish
1: shared a, um, a, a small little piece of research the other day, 159 participants in the research trial, which was interesting, um, on the concept of um, physical touch and stress. So many of us, I think, realize like when we're really stressed or upset or um, going through a difficult time, a hug can make all the difference. A hug from someone who loves us and cares for us can make a big difference in how we feel. Um and what this study wanted to look at, particularly during the time of COVID-19, when we're um, experiencing less physical touch, less physical proximity to people, you know, social distancing, etc., are there ways we can get the benefit from uh, physical touch without having another person present doing it? So they, they got um, a control group, a group who got hugged during a stressful experiment, and a group who... Place their hands on their heart like we do in the self-compassion program, and notice the warmth and gentle pressure of their hand. And then they measured their salivary cortisol levels. And I'm sort of Ooh. reading this as I'm talking at the same time. So,
0: uh, oh, I wonder how they measured that. Did they like catch it in a cup? Or I don't. That's fine. I'm fixating on the wrong thing.
1: From memory, because I've done salivary cortisol testing with some of my patients. I think they spit in a spit in a little vial. Anyway, they probably spit not. at
0: the researcher. The researcher walks past, and they <laughs> spit on the researcher. <laughs> well, that's what I did. I don't know. Maybe that's why they asked me to leave.
1: <laughs> I wonder if I encourage you more than John does. Perhaps that's um.
0: Oh no! The last week we, we went off on these tangents talking about the Cathars and the and the Holy Grail. That's
1: Right? Yeah, yeah. You did you did mention that. So essentially, what they found was that both hugging and um, self-touching, um, supportive self physical touch, soothing uh, touch, soothing touch, soothing touch, actually reduced cortisol levels. Now cortisol's a stress hormone. Many people would be aware of and. Um, so what it basically showed is that um, we can give ourselves the kind of kindness we need, not just through you know verbal encouragement of ourselves, but also through physically being kind and supportive and soothing to ourselves. So I thought that was really cool because it is something that's discussed in the the um, self compassion program, and it is a part of practice to kind of experiment with you know what feels feels good on mm. for you. And, um, and this actually did show that there was hormonal changes, which I think is awesome that we've got this resource that is always with us, kind of like the breath in meditation is always with us. When we need to self-soothe, we can always place our hands on our heart or hold our hands in our, our own hand and notice the warmth and gentle pressure and, and have benefits in, in you know, reducing cortisol and increasing some of those feel-good hormones that make us feel safe and secure and connected. It's not obviously going to mm. eliminate stress, but it's, it's you know, it's a, another tool in the toolbox of things we can do to help care for ourselves more, which I thought was really cool.
0: And there's sort of parallels there, Jad, in terms of saying, look, we can't completely eliminate suffering or, or, or pain because it's just a package deal with being in a human body. However, we can reduce our experience of that. We can... Reduce our reactivity to these sorts of things. Isn't that lovely? I know that um, soothing touch when I was first learning and even just experiencing as a as a as a student was a difficult thing for me. Um, it didn't come naturally, and it sure as hell didn't feel natural. Um, regular listeners of uh, this Facebook discussion will know that I bet One of the most wonderful gifts I gave myself was permission to be a really slow learner. So, you know, if I ever had a business card or changed my email signature, it would be the guy who did the eight-week course in 16 weeks, you know. <laughs>
1: um,
0: and that was, one of, that was one of the things, that, that the whole soothing touch was was difficult. It didn't feel like a natural thing for me to do. But yeah, really interesting in the way that once I started to experience it, it was like one of, one of my other teachers, Tina Gibson, would refer to it almost as like applying a soothing balm mm. to, to, to oneself. So, you know, the idea of the of the balm is it's not it's not going to re- remove the injury. It's not like a magic potion. However, it's going to provide some relief. Which mm. you and I have spoken ad nauseum about this. Offering myself some re- relief tended to be, or even the, being open to the concept, was like the doorway to sort of coming into this whole idea of saying, "I could be kinder to myself. Mm. I could potentially offer myself the things that things that I need." So even just experimenting um, with soothing touch, just you know, on the forearms, trying to hold up my arms so that we can see in the zoom. Did it take you a while to sort of to transcend to putting the hand on the heart? Because now I'll do the hand on the heart and I don't care where I am.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Now I'm like that as well. But yeah, definitely. At first it felt kind of really weird. It almost felt like if it wasn't for John kind of talking about the science behind it, it felt a bit too kind of um, spiritual in a wishy-washy way that didn't resonate with me at the time. Yeah. Um, And I just kind of did it. And John just kept saying, you know, keep practicing with it. And eventually, you know, it'll land. You'll suddenly, you'll feel the kind of supportive care that your own hands can provide. And I was like, didn't feel anything. I'd say for a good six months of practicing. And then it might have actually been on the five-day silent retreat that we did that it finally, possibly because we were doing so much of it as well, that it finally started to kind of land. And I was like, oh, this actually feels really reassuring and really good. And um, I'll share a story that I think might be helpful for people listening about how powerful this can sometimes be. Uh, Last year, I went through um, a, a breakup and was pretty heartbroken multiple times as it turned out, but particularly so one day and automatically I remember laying on the bed and having a big cry and just placing my hands there not consciously just putting my hands on my chest and giving my hand a rub and I was just like you'll be okay you'll be okay and for the first time it felt as good as if not more beneficial than a hug from a close friend reassuring you that you know you'll get through this it was like this embodied sense of this sucks and it's painful and I'm, I'm hating this but I will be okay. Oh, you know, I'm I'm here for me, and that's when it really hit me that this these sorts of practices are so powerful. But like you said, you've got to be a slow learner because it's not something ingrained in our kind of culture, um, and it is it does feel a little clunky or foreign or weird to to be doing this. But now I'm the same. Like I remember giving a talk once in front of a big crowd of people, and I was just sort of standing there and doing this, and I'm like. A, I don't care, but B, it happens so automatically now that when I need that kind of support, I can I can give it to myself.
0: It is interesting too because again, it it is what you would do for a friend. And, mm. um, you, you know, a friend suffering, you you'd extend them a hug and you'd say words like that. You you would say, you know, look, it's going to be okay. It's 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 going to be all right. Or just even, yeah, so sorry this is happening. This sucks. Mm. Um. So, it's again, it's a strange thing that extending this to yourself is, is such a foreign concept, working as an edu- educator as I do for marginalised cohort and kids who've had a difficult trot. It's one of the things that I'm always kind of doing in the background is is uh, sort of inviting them to look at even just the little things, even the way that they would speak about themselves, you know, oh, mm. I'm, 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 I'm awful, I'm terrible. Hey, you know, is there any way we could soften that? And it's always, it's always resonates with whatever crowd I've taught is that whole, is that what you'd say to a friend? It's always landed.
1: Mm.
0: Mm. It does make people sort of at least prosecute their internal dialogue and their sort of the way they would observe themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Such a, a key concept. And um, you know, within that as you said, it's dose dependent, but it takes a while. I've used all those analogies of, you know, when you go to the gym, you don't you don't walk or, walk over straight away to the 100 kilo dumbbells. In my instance, you never walk near the uh, I would only walk near them if that's where they relocated the water tumbler, but <laughs> The idea is, you know, in, in, in the fitness and, and sort of physical conditioning, we would call it progressive overload, mm. in that we, we would sort of progressively put stress on on the body or duress on the body, and the body will respond gradually to that duress. Um, and the end result being that, you know, we can start off lifting five and eventually lift 25, 35, 40. So I've always carried that concept in my brain mm. of sort of saying, um, I have to, I have to, you know, slowly, slowly. So some of the Johnisms, you know, take my time, mm. take my time, um, which is which is really interesting. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on this or your take on this, bro, bro. The, um, one of the questions that that I had coming through the this wonderful page, mindfulness based mm. stress reduction, um, on Facebook. I don't even know if you do a .com or anything. Uh, was basically inquiring as to the value of a good teacher,
1: mm.
0: <laughs> which, yeah, that's exactly what I did. I was like, hmm, that that's an interesting question. Did you want to have a go at that? I'd be really interested in your thoughts of the value um, and perhaps even contextualizing it, obviously, to this landscape. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was just sort of thinking, is it specific
1: to kind of the field of mindfulness and stuff or just in general? I mean, you- well, I, don't,
0: I, mean I don't know, but... I think people probably get it. Yeah. People might get bored if you start ranting on about the teacher in grade two that taught you. I don't know. Let's see. Let's not label it. (laughs) I'll stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever noticed I have that tendency tendency to ask a question and then sort of chip away at answering it? A little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Definitely. I mean, both of us, I think we're um, not shy of. uh, over committing to our responses to questions and exploring them in, in a great, great, greater depth, perhaps, than, than we're not succinct. We're not very succinct people.
0: <laughs> what a great combination of words you just said. I have to remember that. You know, not, what is it not shy in committing to our. Answer like I love that. That's great. That's a that's a really skillful way of saying this. Dude does not shut up. (laughs) Well, I've had that accusation
1: made about me more so in my recent life than than um than I thought was the case. But anyway, we've already digressed. So the question was about having the value of having a, a good teacher. I think in the case of mindfulness, it's it's hugely important. Like this is stuff I read about for decades really Uh. and never i thought i was getting it i was thought i thought i was understanding it but as anyone who's done a bit of mindfulness will will explain mindfulness is an experience it's it's sort of outside of concept so you can't kind of teach it in an intellectual sort of way you've got to experience it and in the experience comes up all these funny little layers of experience you know when you when you have when you start noticing your own awareness there's you know there's sensation there's feelings in the body there's feelings outside of the body there's sound smells taste etc and then you've got thoughts appearing and then you've got thoughts about thoughts appearing and then you've got emotions you know affecting all of that as well there's so many layers that you need um you need someone experienced in in um, going into that landscape, that inner landscape or, or um, experiential landscape, who can kind of guide you along the way and be like, "Oh, yeah, that 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 happens there," or or try approaching it sort of this way. And it might be helpful to share like an example um, when I first did John's class on M M I C B mindfulness integrated cognitive behavior therapy or mbct which so mindfulness anyway um <laughs> I started getting um, really itchy when I'd meditate and itchy to the point where I started thinking I must have had an undiagnosed skin condition that was I just that happened to be getting really bad during the period of, of time that I was Was meditating, and so I brought it up in in John's class and said, "Oh, you know, is this a thing? Like, is this is this kind of normal, or do I need to get an ointment, or what's what's going on?" (laughs) (laughs) Ointment, I love that word, ointment. (laughs) (laughs) And John, yeah, he pointed out, he's like, you know, beginners as they're beginning to meditate, your mind will kind of get distracted by anything. And even kind of like minuscule kind of sensations on the skin might become magnified into this kind of really loud experience. And in my instance, that was this kind of like itchiness, this descriptional, I'm talking about it now, I'm getting itchy, this itchiness all over the skin. And and over time, he said, pay attention to that and see if you can almost mentally turn the itch up, you know, instead of trying to resist it, ignore it, not pretend it's not there, which is just going into battle with it. See if you can like really focus in and explore it and I did, and over about a week the itchiness completely disappeared. Now, had I just been reading about mindfulness in a book or maybe watching a few YouTubes on on how to do it, I wouldn't have had that kind of dialogue to explore mm. my experience. And I think for me, you know, and ongoing since then, having teachers to 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 talk to about the experience and has been invaluable. What about what about yourself?
0: I value mentoring. Mm. And so to me, there's almost an inbuilt um, augmentation of the material because of my leaning towards I just I love having mentoring, guidance, teaching. It's just always been a thing. Mm. And so for me, I don't always get a, as, as much as you could self from, from, from reading I I tend to get a lot more out of just doing. And so mm. my my experience of working with, you know, in this space of working with two important mentors, one being John Julian, the other being Tina Gibson was um I felt when that individual is is with me, I to, to be completely reductive, I would feel safer. Um and I would also Have a capacity to potentially mine deeper or go a little further because of that. Mm. And um, the result for me was I would push through, push through, I don't know Mm. if that's the right word, but I would perhaps challenge my concept of self or my boundaries um, further and Mm. therefore receive, my experience was that I would receive a higher, quote unquote, dose. And I also value, guess what, conversation, um, discourse. And so I would um, I would value the idea of um, being able to just pick things apart and, and talk. Mm. And I think the other thing for me is once I, what's the word? Once I feel safe with the teacher, I can go further. And they can call me on my. <laughs> I want to say BS, but I won't. They can call me on my on some of my dysfunctional thinking or, mm. or that sort of stuff, and especially especially the teachers that I've experienced because they can do that in a humorous and you know sort of sort of joyful way because that's yeah. that's probably the other thing. Um, surprise, surprise! I value humor,
1: mm.
0: so. Yeah, I mean, I think I think for me, a teacher was vital. Yeah, um, and especially in in sort of calling me on some of my stuff, uh, the, the probably the personal story that I would share would be one of the times when I was literally sitting in a corner of the room in a, in a gelatinized mess, you know, third fourth weekend of my second time around <laughs> trying mindfulness based stress reduction, and clearly. You know, some of the stuff wasn't wasn't landing, and and John, you know, the teacher at the time walked over to me and and just compassionately, it was all in the delivery. Just looked at me and he said, "Oh, you think thoughts are real? <laughs> <laughs> isn't that curious?" This little little Yoda like smile, and, <laughs> you know, shook his head and just isn't that curious? And off he walked. And dude, that was a game changer for me. That shifted the ground significantly. Because I was behaving in that gelatinous moment and in decades of gelatinous moments in my life under duress. Yeah, just always behaving as if my thoughts were A real and B truth. Mm. Mm. Now you combine that, my bro bro, with uh with a negative Self talk, mm. <laughs> a, a rancid inner critic, and gee whiz, you know you're off to the races. Yeah, absolutely. So, so for me, the value of a teacher was immeasurable mm. because I just don't, I'm not really going to get those moments from a YouTube video or from a book. Mm. Mm. Just that yeah. moment where a teacher can walk over to me. Um, upon reflection, now being a teacher myself. Obviously, he knew that exact moment because it was clear that I was about to collapse. You know, up one of my own orify. <laughs> you know, and there he and there he was, just at that moment, going, "Okay, I'll let this dude play with this moment for long enough, and then I'll kind of just offer him a." Upon reflection, what I realised was effectively a something to shift a paradigm and think about, but it was also a nice little pattern interrupt for a for a mm-hmm. man having a. Conniption and a gelatinous moment in the corner of a room um, with 15 other people there that he doesn't really know, and just going, Oh boy, oh boy. So, yeah, to me, the value of a, a good teacher is immeasurable. Mm. Now, you know, the other side of this coin is um, I don't want to say bad teacher, let's just potentially be kind on and try to model what we're talking about here. But I mean I have had reflections on the impact of a less of an unskillful mm, teacher. Mm. What are your what are your thoughts on that? Bearing in mind that's my whole inner George Costanza whenever I'm teaching, I'm just trying not to be the unskillful the teacher. Unskillful teacher. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's an important point too. I actually
1: uh, there was a teacher I um, did an intensive with and um and, you know and this is where it's interesting I think where the meditation practices are divorced from their traditional context which was often in in the case of being in a monastery or a, um, yes or with a teacher for many many years where you develop that trust and that relationship and that understanding um, and I dived into some pretty deep meditation practices on this um retreat I was at and whilst the teacher was incredibly skillful at teaching the I think the practice of focusing and, and noticing what was going on in my awareness, I really don't think he had a sensitivity to the, um, the shock that that caused in me. Like there was a, an aspect of it that was a bit disassociating or discombobulating. It was kind of a bit terrifying in a way. And I was sort of in a remote kind of area and felt really kind of, um, you know, to use a, a word that's kind of weakened in meaning but I was quite triggered emotionally by the experience and he did not hold that very well he did not tune into that he did not recognize that that was going on for me and I was kind of um flailing around like a fish out of water not not really knowing how to kind of um uh, ground myself again so you know I think there's there is a danger there when we turn inward and we see our inner landscape, like you said, for some of us, that's going to be coming into close contact with this toxic narrator that we've believed our whole life. And then when you start to question that, you're like, "Well, who am I?" and "And and what do I do about this?" And um, and if you don't have someone there who can can gently and compassionately and kindly guide you through that, then that can be really damaging. And and I know you've done the trauma informed mindfulness training with um. What's, what's his face? And David Trelaiven. <laughs> that's the word. That's the name. And you know, I think more and more that will become a really important part of um, practicing, particularly in a modern context, is is having trauma awareness because we all carry a lot of crap in our back catalogue that's that's um that can flare up and cause problems. How about yourself? Have you had experiences with less than ideal teaching or teaching methods that? that's been
0: troublesome? I I think for me it was more just uh, doing programs previously that just lacked the compassionate element, self-compassion element. Um, Mm. I have been, upon reflection, the beneficiary of some absolutely wonderful teachers. Um, And so, yeah, for me, I, I I came to mindfulness with, I don't know, 20, 20, plus years of, of working with mindfulness more from a from a Taoist sort of a, ideas. And so for me working in a landscape without compassion again I'm just always for me going to come back to the to the safe word mm. just incredible like just on a side tangent with me. most of the most of the unskillful behaviors that I have enacted, have all been based around me not feeling safe. Mm. God, it took me a long time to realise that. Mm. Um, my, probably most evident in my, my interactions with, you know, family, with wife, children. Like there's just been times when whenever I've been unskillful, it just, it's, I can just reduce it to the fact that, you know, little Mickey is just feeling not okay. But that's mm. a side tangent. Mm. I digress. But, yeah, I think the absence of the self-compassion So me, you know, doing Vipassana retreats Mm. years ago, trying to sit through 28 days of just stewing in your own juices. I now reflect on that and think that's actually not an act of compassion. Mm. For me, that was almost Marcus Aurelian stoicism mindfulness. Mm. Mm. Go somewhere, say nothing, stew in your own juices, Mm. meditate until your knees are about to blow up for eight hours a day. Mm. All your self-regulation strategies removed, or your, or in my case, my avoidance strategies removed. Mm. No phones, no, no gaming, no. <laughs> so, I actually, upon reflection, now at my age, I would not recommend that. You know, if I could, if I, we talked about time machines earlier. I, I'm probably a DeLorean man. I just think it's cool. I would, I would rush back to to myself. You know, and say, because the the pastor retreat, I don't think, had a positive impact on me. I was pretty messy for a while after it. Mm -hmm. I would actually say, hey, dude, this is not kind. This is not how, this is not what you need, probably more importantly. And that kind of leads me to the next bit, Jads. In in terms of like the compassion, was what I was able to start to unpack the idea of needs Mm. and my needs. It's a, it was an interesting process to go through because I don't think I even touched on an understanding of needs or ideas about needs in other mindfulness training. What, what
1: about you? Yeah. I don't know if I came across it in that same sort of sense for me, the concept of sort of needs. Um, but the self-compassion part of it was, was huge and allowed me to go much, much deeper in, in terms of my ability to practice mindfulness. And that was, I guess, the need in that instance was the need to go slow, to be patient and um, not be be kind of pushing myself so hard or, or trying to get somewhere, just kind of staying with the experience rather than trying to push through. And it's when you stay with the experience that things kind of unfold naturally.
0: Needs... Was kind of everything for me, mm. um, and compassion was that doorway or that bridge. Um, I just feel like I feel like um, if someone sort of asked me, oh, what did you want out of this? What do you? What did you want out of working with a teacher?" It was obviously to embody the practice, to learn, blah blah mm. blah. But to, but to me, it was to become more skillful at expressing my needs under duress, combined with you know, manuf- or augmented by manufacturing space in between stimulus and response. Mm. We had a question also during the week that was I thought it was really cool. And it was based around what, what I'm sort of mentioning now is I actually can't ma- imagine my life without compassion or self-compassion. And if I reflect whenever the ball has been dropped there's been a correlation between, <laughs> you know, a reduction in self-compassion, either practice or regard in those moments. Mm, mm. Can you reflect on that now? Because the question during the week came of, of you know, can you remember what it's like to be a beginner with this sort of stuff? Can you remember what your life was like without compassion? Uh, I, well,
1: yeah, definitely for me. I feel like I, I constantly am, am back at being a beginner. And that's yes. okay now. Like I think I used to kind of then get down on myself for not kind of being more diligent and more um, consistent and disciplined and, and going kind of further with things. And, and now I sort of, it's often the times where I step back and I'm just like, we're, we're always at the beginning or whatever. You, you said a great quote on the podcast the other night when we were recording. But um, I think the the times in life where yeah, I've kind of gone off rails has been when you, you become a lot more automatic and so therefore you're lacking in mindfulness My. and you're kind of putting out fires instead of really addressing and meeting your own deeper needs. And that, that, that requires self-compassion. So the, the two sides of that, that process have, have always been kind of sort of relevant and, yeah, it's, I mean, it's made the self-compassion aspects mate change my life in the last three years. Like I've made some really big decisions and big changes and I'm um, thrown myself into new experiences and stuff that I think previously I just wouldn't have had the skills to be able to to cope with, to be honest. And um, so I can remember it because for me, it feels like I'm, I'm like old habits die hard and the new habits of being kinder to myself and being a bit more present, um, still for, for for in some ways is a, is is often a deliberate practice but that's refreshing that now it comes more automatically during some times of deep emotional distress instead of just wallowing in sort of self-pity or self-flagellation i can kind of ah oh, that's right I, I can i'm doing this again i can be i've got another option now i can be kind to myself i can be encouraging i can take a moment to just sit with the pain instead of numbing out to it, disassociating, drinking, whatever I can kind of, there's, there are other skills and strategies and resources that I can um, utilize. But for me, I I still often very much feel like I'm a beginner. Um, And yeah, it's, 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 it's always a, it's a long process, I suppose. Yeah.
0: I I reckon um, (coughs) that resonates with me because You know, it sounds like you're giving yourself permission to to be a beginner. You know, Mm. you're possibly changing your relationship to the concept of I don't know mastery or whatever that is, and that probably works quite well with my idea of like just be a slow learner. It's Mm. completely okay to be a slow learner. Um, I think you know, being completely transparent that I remember years ago thinking that you know i would i could learn these practices and you know eventually work my way up to hovering 3 feet off the off the ground and you know become this magical almost omnipotent prescient being mm. on earth mm. and i think i think understanding that it's like and again a, a great quote um from from my both my teachers in in reference to the idea of being you you don't have to stop being a mess, but perhaps what might be useful is to become a compassionate mess. Mm.
1: Mm.
0: I don't know that I'd come across that that idea before, Jad. In terms of like either you know, YouTubing or reading or, or or anything like that. Perhaps I had, but it or perhaps it was just in a position to land better for me, but mm. and I'm kind of answering a question before I pose it here, but yeah, I absolutely remember what it's like to be a big be a beginner and I'm because I consider myself at best an advanced beginner or just good at beginning.
1: <laughs> yeah. Good
0: at beginning again.
1: Yeah, that's a good way of framing it, I think, you know. It,
0: just understanding that I will drop the ball. Mm. Yeah, the randomness of life is far too difficult to, uh, you know, you know. Just you know, full disclosure, I haven't become this omnipresent prescient being that can predict the undulating highway or the fickle finger of fate flipping me off. I can't <laughs> predict that. So therefore, there's always just going to be, oh boy, you know, that hurt or that was real or, and mm. mm. and 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 I've dropped the ball there. Yeah. The question sort of came during the week, and gee, it was a really cool question. Was what's changed in terms of your relationship to to the idea of dropping the ball? What's shifted for you?
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, that is that, a really good that
1: question. <laughs> I might, if I can, just share a little story back to the the previous question, which kind of links in with this. When I was in Bhutan um, a couple of years ago in the Himalayas, went up this big long trek to this amazing monastery on a cliff we climbed up this big mountain, went to this amazing kind of monastery on the top of this cliff face. And we wow. got to have this private session with this, this monk and through, through a, an interpreter, he had done three hours, three months and three days meditating in a cave. Oh wow. Where someone would bring him a plate of food every day. And that was it. Not, not speaking to anyone, just meditating the whole time. And, um, and on the topic of, you know, big, you know, beginner's mind and, and, mastery and all that sort of thing i sort of said you know after all of that practice like when you came back into the kind of normal world the normal world being a mountaintop in Bhutan but still you know wow. busy life etc i said do you you know do you stay in this perpetual state of pure blissful awareness or you know do you come back to your old self and and, and if so how long does it take and he said oh look Within an hour, about an hour of being around the monks in the monastery, I'm back to feeling how I usually feel. So after three years, three months, and three days, snap, that's all you get? come back.
0: But he said, I want "The my money back. <laughs>
1: yeah, said, well, that's a lot of work for an hour." Uh-huh. But he said that the ability to shift back into that state uh-huh. of mind becomes much more instantaneous when deliberately kind of um, chosen. So I think that that was sort of interesting. That the more we practice this, like you said, you get, you get you get better at being a beginner. You can kind of jump back into that mode or that zone or whatever much more easily. Now the the other question was, what was this? The other question was sort of on that. Well,
0: it was, yeah, it was related to that topic. Like what's shifted, what's shifted in your practice in terms of like, you know, in your, when you drop the ball, how is your experience of dropping the ball different? Oh, I'm just
1: a hundred percent, so much more, Kind to myself than i used to be um and there's a, a big there's there's not this automatic if i dropped the ball in any sense in life it used to be this kind of instant shame spiral and i'd go i'd have like a freeze response if i felt like i dropped the ball um uh it's to the point where i didn't even know that i was kind of in a, in a self-critical kind of zone because I would just kind of tune out and shut down and now that doesn't you know doesn't happen and if it does happen I kind of know it's happening and can kind of then remind myself that I'm human and that, that we make mistakes and we keep making mistakes and mistakes is how you grow and learn and um, you know the compassionate mess quote which is what inspired the, the name of the podcast we do the kind mess podcast is all about our lives are messy and complicated and always will be. And that's actually, that's part of the, you know, the, the bumpy journey of life. So I'm rather than kind of it, it t- t- going down into like a real shame spiral about, you know, not always being perfect or get everything right. If, if anything, I've given myself permission to be a bit slacker as I've gotten older and that's okay. Like I've, I i was not getting it. I was, I was a terrible perfectionist. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, like it, yeah yeah
0: it's it, it, <laughs> it didn't work <laughs> yeah it's a it's a tricky word, perfectionism or the the whole word perfect, regular participants on this Facebook discussion will know um'm I don't like the word the origins of the word are, are sort of basically around finished, finished, you know perfect means finished, and um I don't think that's the way the human experience works. Um, in terms of if we ever reach a state where we're finished. Um, I think only a select few throughout the weighty tomes written in human history have experienced the finish and who knows, then they go on to potentially experience a whole nother landscape. But yeah, for for me, my relationship to, to dropping the ball has shifted in terms of my reactivity to dropping. Just mm. I don't stay in that re- reactivity as long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd love to lie and <laughs> tell you that when I drop the ball, there's, you know, this Zen-like flute plays in the background of my experience and I don't react. I, I do, mm. um, but I don't stay in that reacted state as mm. long at all. Comparing mm. comparing to years ago, I could stay in that reacted state for days, weeks, months, mm. decades. <laughs> mm. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I, I wouldn't even know that that was happening either at the time, you know, that that, that reaction had kind of the ripples of it was still reverberating through my emotional, and, you know, experience for, for days, weeks, months, like you said. Like it's, whereas now, I think you phrased that beautifully. I, the, it's the reactivity. It, it happens, but it doesn't, you don't get stuck on that kind of um, loop.
0: It's, it's interesting, this whole process, these whole skill sets have been for me about, it just gives me a whole new sense of agency and, and control, like, you know, not to, and certainly not to, not to question the, 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 the therapy process, but I feel like the difference wasn't, you know, coming from a background of going and sitting in a room and talking to people that was so valuable for me at the time. But I think mm. the greatest value of that was just having a forum to speak because mm. I was at a point in my life where I just felt like I was going unheard. Mm. Um, so that was wonderful. But in terms of these wonderful concepts, mindfulness, compassion, you know, it, it, it has given personally me the, the capacity to pull out my stuff and put it on the bench and sort of look at it and work with it, for want of a better term. Well, just maybe even be with it. But yeah, mm. in terms of like I, I sort of said to a student the other day, I can't imagine what it's like to unpack my thinking without the ability to feel like I can Safely put it on a platform where I can process it, and for mm. me, the safety's been the compassion, mm. and even mm. even as you alluded to before, you know, sometimes it's just you put it out on the bench to to look at it and go, "Uh, oh, nope, not today."
1: Yeah, that's yeah. that's a
0: compassionate thing too.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: But also being able to modulate, because as you know, you know well, Jaddles, my my challenge is I tend to default towards the stoicism and the Aurelian, so. Just giving me a landscape where I can start to explore, but or mine, but do it safely, mm. has been a real game changer and a real shift. And that's what we're doing with this, the Kind Mess Podcast. Um, that's what we're doing with John on on this page. Is just try to create landscapes where we could have bigger discussions about. Um, These skill sets And the potential value And the shared experience Of Mm. of such So Jad I think what we'll do Is we'll potentially Wind this crazy bus up um, And I would Thank you for coming on And Not being John (laughs) Did I do a good job Of not being John? Look you know I kind of enjoyed it Gotta be honest (laughs) Not sure whether or not He'll see this episode So I have to be careful How much I say I enjoyed his absence (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no, not at all, but it's been super, super fun The irony is when we met, we couldn't talk And we've kind of mm. never stopped talking since Yeah, both of us have
1: definitely got the gift of the gab But when we did meet, it was five days of just kind
0: of uh, charades Yeah, and uh, you did really well putting up with my snoring Yeah <laughs>
1: It was as an anchor for my awareness.
0: Oh, well well played, sir. All right, everybody. Well, the invitation is to uh, pick any or nothing from this discussion that might feel useful to you. Mm, share some
1: questions. I've, I've also posted to Mike in the chat the link to that that study. If anyone's interested as well, we can put it in the, the comments of the, the Facebook Live. So you can – well, I think we can do that um, um, so that it – comes up in the discussion so anyway that, that that's there
0: one of the great similarities is you are about as techie savvy as john <laughs> <laughs>
1: we definitely have that wonderful common. i don't have a cat resting on my shoulder but <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you don't have this weird purring tumor
0: oh i love dogs all right
1: well thanks for having me and thanks john if you do watch this for allowing me to be on your um
0: in your time slot in your time slot <laughs> I've enjoyed it. And uh, just a reminder, should you want to hear more of the dulcet tones of Jad, we, we have the kind, is it, what's it, dash? Is that the word? Hyphen? Forward slash
1: the kind mess podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and you can find it also at, The kind mess podcast on Spotify and that sort of thing. You can find me on Facebook as Jad Patrick Natural Therapies or on Instagram as Jad Patrick Natropathy if you wanted to reach out at all. And um, yeah, if you have any questions for either of us, shoot them away and hopefully will be on the show again oh, maybe I think, never i think Who
0: knows? well i think you will my friend and i of course in terms of social media and and presence externally on the internet am elusive cuz i owe the government money all right everyone have a wonderful have a wonderful whatever is going to unfold for you mm. tootles
1: see you later